Welcome to the show. My name is Matt Hamill, host of the Chip Marble Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me today as we look at some news stories that are catching people's attention today. Maybe, uh, you know, stories in the news about music, sports. Uh, we're keeping an eye on them and we'll talk about them today like we have... Uh, interesting story this week about a famous rapper who i guess he got exposed for driving for uber you know you don't really think that a, a rapper is gonna be spending his time you know doing the ride sharing you know offering you bottles of water and uh, pieces of gum but this is what uh you know a passenger caught and took a video kind of exposed him and then this rapper kind of responded and you're gonna know who this guy is he had some pretty big uh, hits uh you know back in the day and uh, we'll, we'll get into that story and kind of the discussion that's happening around that. Also, uh, we'll unpack. Uh, there was a bit of a fiasco here in Ontario. We have a nuclear power plant and uh, everybody woke up on Sunday morning to an alert message like this alarming thing like, hey, there might be a problem at the at the nuclear power plant. You don't need to leave town now, but just be on on alert. Something could be, you know, so everybody was super scared, right? You get this kind of amber alert type of message to your phone, and I think uh, it was just quite a uh, disaster. So we'll unpack what exactly happened there and, and what they're doing going forward to address this this debacle. And we'll have a, we'll close the show off today with an interview with a human rights activist, Noreen Breyer. She's a Kurdish-American uh, activist and photojournalist, essentially dedicated her whole life to helping people that she feels are being discriminated against for one reason or another. So pretty cool walk of life, you know, pretty cool mission statement that she has. So we'll talk to her and uh, just really a pretty admirable person. Um, super intelligent. So you're going to want to stick around for that interview and, and listen to me. Hang on for dear life intellectually, trying not to get exposed for the, the lughead that I truly am. So that's coming up. Interview with Noreen Breyer. Great show for you today here on the Chip Marble Podcast brought to you by Lynx Magazine. First up on today's show, we have a famous rapper from back in the day now driving Uber. You know, rappers have this whole image of like, I drive a Bentley, you know, fancy cars. You don't expect that rapper to be downtown driving a Hyundai, you know, nice fuel efficient car doing Uber. You just doesn't really line up with what you'd expect. Right. But that is the case for Atlanta rapper Young Jock. Now, if you don't know Young Jock, he had that that big hit, Meet Me at the Club. It's going down. Uh, he had a bunch of bunch of big tunes. Like Young Jock is a great. Like I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan of a lot of Atlanta hip hop. You know, Young Jeezy, Gucci Mane, but uh, Young Jock was right in there. You know, he was making big tunes, and now he has a. Um, so this video comes out earlier this week, and the girl is in the back seat. Now she starts recording on her phone. So he has a passenger, and she's like, "You sound familiar, man." You know, like, are you young jock? And he's like, obviously, he's he's got the hood on, and he's kind of trying to, I guess, kind of dodge the question. Maybe he is a bit embarrassed by it, right? Uh, and eventually, he's like, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but they're like, no, you're young jock, man. I know you see. Um, so let's let's take a look at the uh, at this video here. You know, it's a new conference. I've been doing probably like about. 30 or 40 days. 30 or 40 days. You sound like somebody I know. Huh? You sound like somebody I know. I mean, somebody I know. Yeah. 
you know, like, who? I don't know. What's your name? Are you? I just want to ask a question. Um, are you young, Jack? Can you turn around? I mean, I think y'all put that part together, yeah. Oh, also, you didn't feel, you must have fell off or something. Like oh, why? No, why is you? Yeah, I gotta fall off. Yeah, I mean, I'm young Jock, you must have like, fell off. You just driving for pull up and go. Like what happened? I mean, yeah, they're really grilling like him. Easy way to get some easy money right here downtown. And he's actually explaining himself. Now, the whole thing, can I, can I be real with you for a second? The whole thing kind of stinks of promotional stunt. You know, it just seems like he's acting. Like, this seems like something you put on his demo reel. You know, it just seems very fabricated. But let's assume, I mean, we have to assume this is true. I'm sure Young Jock, like, it's kind of a weird promo stunt to do, right? That The idea that you would be, uh, you know, in, in order to get your name back in the news, you would, you know, out yourself as an Uber driver. Um interesting move for young jock so um he then defended himself young jock responded to all of the internet conversations some people clowning on him right oh my god what's this guy doing driving for uber you're a rapper come on man like a, a famous rapper like what are you doing driving for uber have things gotten that bad for young jock is what people are thinking here's his response video so i'm a part of this um this organization been around for 25 years big brother big sister and a lot of times when we're talking to these kids and you you got to lead by example and sometimes like you have to show people you're not too big you know what i'm saying you have to show them what humility is and you're not too big to you know, do the right thing by making an honest living. And I think a lot of times that's why our kids and even adults go astray because they're too ashamed and too prideful, man, to do something. It was one of those things where you know how you just be, you, you, you start challenging yourself to do something you ain't never did before. So it's kind of like a bucket list thing. But I mean, for anybody who really wants to do this, I think it's a dope idea. I mean, I'm, look, I'm doing it right now. They gave me a little hat. Pull up and go. Yeah, I got somebody in the back seat. Now I just had to pull over. I had to pull over. Look, I'm going to tell you the most phenomenal part of this whole experience from this going viral is the amount of support. He's that really, I'm like, whoa. Like, because I just do that. I'm kind of airing back on the side that this thing is a promotion. A lot, a lot He's wearing the hat, pull up and go. Who knows what pull I mean, up and go is, too. He's like, hustlers hustle. You know what I mean? Um, I just realized that maybe. Honestly, this. I mean, if this is a commercial, if this whole thing is a charade and we've all been kind of duped here, it really is quite brilliant of a marketing move. He's wearing the pull up and go hat. Nobody's ever heard of pull up and go. Come on now. Uber, Lyft, pull up and go. Pull up. What the hell's that? But uh, I see now that he is kind of, you know, working in the, hey, I do big brothers, big sisters. And, uh, you know, we try to tell these kids that you don't have to sell drugs. You can make an honest living. And here he is doing honest work and i think that does do, go a long way for some kids who think ah oh, man i you know i can't do that uh, uh, like that's beneath me interesting for young jock to send that message out there and at the end of the day i leave the question in your hands is this a promotional stunt it it, it reeks of promo stunt but also there is a good message in there like whether or not this whole thing is kind of a, pro a promo it is very uh there's some good messages in there in that like yeah nothing wrong with honest work and, uh, you know, Young Jock, let's be honest, he had some big hits in 2006, 2007, maybe 2008, but uh, not a lot since then. And you could imagine, like, once your kind of window passes, like, nobody's looking for a Young Jock feature on their on their track anymore. But uh, interesting story there, for sure. At the end of the day, uh, yeah, a great commercial for um, 
great, great commercial for what's that ride service again? Up and up and go. I already forgot. So it turns out not so effective. And when you talk about ineffective advertisements, you know, there is a McDonald's commercial on TV right now that is driving my whole family nuts. Every time this thing comes on, the problem is this McDonald's commercial is like 15 seconds long. So they hit you with it at the beginning of the commercial break and they tag the end of it with the same 15-minute bullshit. And what it is, I'll play it for you right now, it's these two friends and they're, they love McDonald's so much and they're they're bickering back and forth about, oh, the, the semantics of the fast food. It's it's supposed to be adorable. Really, it, it, is, it is wretched. Here it is. How can it be a Big Mac if it has bacon on it? It's just a name. Big Macs are their own thing. It's, it's well documented. Where's the document? Commercials. Commercials are not jingles. documentation. Yes, they are. It's part of the public domain. Everyone knows what a Big Mac is, and it doesn't have bacon on it. So what is it? What it's not makes it what it is. Think it's, about it. Like, stop it. It's, there's another version of it, too, where they're talking about Big Mac bacon. Well, you know, it's really... It's just driving me crazy. And it's kind of... A lot of commercials are like that, right? These commercials are just unbearably annoying and it kind of makes you wonder like is that part of the game plan do they intentionally make commercials insufferably annoying so you notice them it's almost like there's no such thing as bad attention as long as i can get you to notice the commercial um then it's really you know whether it's annoying or um it's effectively the same thing right it's kind of like if you draw attention to yourself even if in a negative way Let's take, for example, the Kim Kardashian sex tape. You get negative attention on you, you can flip it. You know, people are mad at you, people are talking shit, but people are talking about you, okay? And if you have a Kris Kardashian uh, behind the, you know, the, the wheel, she can help flip the narrative, and then all of a sudden you're just popular. People kind of forget the negativity that thrusted you into the spotlight in the first place. It's kind of fascinating, but just a terrible, terrible McDonald's commercial. Um, God, I just, there should kind of be like a feature where you can, you know, if a certain commercial bothers you so much where you even feel like you have to change the channel, you know, um, there should be some kind of feature. You get like one every month, a commercial you get to just veto, you know, and just like, and then they give you like personalized commercials. Like right now, that's got to be the future of TV because right now you're on the internet. They're tracking cookies. They're looking into your DMs. They are finding out everything about you and getting commercials targeted to you using that info. Naturally, television has to go the same way, right? Like, don't just show the whole country the same commercials. Fucking personalize that shit. My household, we talk about, you know, certain things. <laughs> and you should just show us commercials based on that. How hasn't TV figured out how to do that yet? Radio as well. Is it not possible? Is it like, is TV hanging on to some kind of ethical high horse? Well, we're not like the internet. We're not going to be invasive in the way that we target you for advertisements. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. Is that something? Folks, moving on now. Enough of the annoying commercials. Now we have to talk about the annoying Emergency alert message. So everybody wakes up on Sunday in Ontario to an alert buzzing to their phone. I did as well. Kind of like an amber alert. Buzzes every phone in the province. Warning, there is a unspecified problem at the nuclear power plant. Don't be alarmed. Uh, we'll keep you updated if anything advances. But as of right now, you don't have to take any action. So everybody's thinking, wow, 2020 has already been, has already been like a crazy, crazy year, right? Um, so much going on. Airlines getting shot down. World War Three talk. Like it's 
you know, we're 15 days into the new year. Everybody had this new year positivity, right? Now it's like totally um, shot because it's just been a wild start to the year. And now it's like, oh, great. Now there's a meltdown at the power plant, at the nuclear power plant. That just kind of sounds about right these days. So people were worried. And then it took a whole two hours before we get a follow-up text. Okay, what's this? Oh, sorry. We made, we made a mistake. It took, you, it took them two hours to admit that, oh, sorry, we didn't mean to send that out. Uh, the, you know, doom and gloom, pow, trouble at the plant. Uh text and two full hours like that's a lot of time for people to complain and it was early in the morning right 7 a.m so you have people waking up on a sunday tweeting their anger what is this i don't want to be woken up by this and one thing i did notice is it was too early in the morning for people to be upset you know you can't tweet angry when you're still half asleep i was reading a lot of nonsensical complaining on social media people just weren't awake enough to like express themselves you know what i'm saying i've been awake for a couple hours now i still can't express myself that's just something i deal with but i just thought that was a funny little twist was that people were complaining but i feel like their brains almost weren't awake yet i got a big kick out of that so here is a funny uh video about you know how maybe (laughs) the power plant so they sent out an air you know this message about a problem at the power plant and how easy is it to send out a message like shouldn't there be like multiple steps of like are you sure you want to send this well here's a video that kind of contextualizes what that really would look like would you like to send it yes are you double sure yes are you really are you okay are you positive you want to send an alert to every person in the province wake them up on a sunday Okay, are you really, really sure you want to do that? Yes. Okay. Well, I hope that's what you wanted to do. And, (laughs) like, it kind of makes you feel not that great about the the government, right? Like, this is, like, the systems they have in place. Like, what are they using? Like, the Dewey Decibel system? Like, what kind of technology are they working with um, that they're sending out these, these alerts with? What if something actually does happen? I feel like the province's next best option is like carrier pigeons. Next time there's like a fire, we have to evacuate. You're going to get like a pigeon flies into your window with a little note attached to its leg. There may or may not be a fire. So just wait for more information. Wild. Goofy. So here is a, here's an article about uh, numerous safeguards in place to prevent these kind of erroneous emergency alerts, according to the software company. Um, they say that, like, look, this shouldn't have happened. Pelmorex, which runs Ontario's alert-ready system, they also do the Amber Alerts. They catch a lot of shit. People are really not that stoked on all the Amber Alerts. And it is kind of interesting that if you're at home and you're asleep and, you know, you get this alert to your phone about the kid missing, it's like, I can't do anything. I'm at home right now. I'm sleeping. I'm not going to get up and, all right, boys, we got to go find that. But also, maybe there should be some kind of way where you can identify which cell phones are maybe probably going to be in the hands of someone who's awake. Like, let's say if you're in a car and your cell phone's pinging that cell tower and you can actually tell that that cell phone's on the move. Um, This person might be of service to us. So let's send them the Amber Alert. 
the the dude that's always angry on Twitter and he's asleep right now and he wakes up and he hates his job, don't send him the Amber Alert. He's going to get woken up and he's going to be all pissy and whiny. Don't do it. But uh, people were not too happy with the nuclear power plant thing and luckily everything's okay. Everything's okay at the power plant. Unfortunately, our government... Uh, everything is not okay with the people that we're trusting to keep us safe and let us know when things are wrong. Because sometimes they let us know when they they worry us sometimes. Um, there you go. Power plant. And then they try to explain it away. Now, folks, we get into the latter part of the show. We have an interview with a young activist, Noreen Breyer. Now, she's doing... Incredible work all over the globe. She's doing, you know, in northern Iraq, helping communities that were a main target of ISIS. And like that's really all a part of a solar panel project she has. And she talks about the solar panel project. I'm going to ask her about it because um, I just think it's fascinating that there's actually different there's nuances to the solar panels. All oh, solar panels are good, right? We'll help these communities get their own energy. Well, solar panels actually, some of them are kind of unethical in the way that they're made. They're kind of maybe being a bit, um, it, it, the way that they harvest the materials in certain parts of Africa is actually kind of sketchy. So you have to, you know, if you want to consider yourself a good person and provide solar panels, you really have to make sure that, you know, you find solar panels that are ethnically made. So it's all these layers to this stuff. And Noreen is, is is the daughter of Kurdish refugees. So I think for her, my understanding is that she has obviously, you know, stories of people being discriminated and it hits close to home for her. So this is, I think, what's motivated her. And I can't wait to ask her more about just what's got her so active at this young age. So here she is, Noreen Breyer on the Chip Marble podcast. I noticed that you were in Australia earlier this week, and now you're you're in Boston. What's up with the globe trotting? What's bringing you around the uh, around the planet like this? Yeah, so I was actually in Bali for nine days in Indonesia. Um, I basically got this grant to go and film a documentary there. I was working with environmental activists and the indigenous you know population of Bali that are moving to kind of help treat the effects of climate change and and you know, like find sustainable solutions to that. So I really just wanted to emphasize their work and their contribution. So I was there and then I was supposed to fly back from Qatar, um, actually, but then the FAA banned all flights, commercial flights through the Middle East. So I had to reroute and go through Australia. So then I was in Australia for, you know, like a day and then had to go to LA. So it was this big thing where I had to just go around the entire globe to get back home. <laughs> oh, wow. Because of those recent developments. That's wild. But that's really cool that yeah. you were down there. I know you said you're with a, doing a, got a grant for a documentary. I know you're into the photojournalism and, uh, and activism. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. how much do you really have going on in that? It seems like you have a lot, uh, uh, your hands in a lot of different uh um, irons here. Uh, what exactly yeah. do you do with with respect to activism and photojournalism? Yeah, so it, it kind of varies. So I started my first documentary in Israel-Palestine working with Palestinian prison activists um, when I was uh, 19. Uh, but, you know, as early as the age of like 14, I was going out and protesting, uh, trying to emphasize Kurdish human rights and stuff like that. But um, basically what I do is, is very different. I go around and I disseminate conflict analysis to various senators and, and uh, people and like governmental officials, uh, stuff like that. And then I'll also have my own exhibit to which um, I presented at Harvard and I'll be presenting at Yale too in a couple of weeks. 
um, my photos that I took in Iraqi Kurdistan, where I went and worked with uh, refugees and survivors of ISIS, specifically the Yazidi community and women that were affected by that. And um, I worked with a lot of artists back there in the refugee camps and sold their artwork uh, through social media and gave them all the profits. It's just various forms of trying to find, you know, ways to empower and help uh, marginalized populations around the world. And so my recent uh, work is in Bali with environmental activists. So it's just, you know, a lot of different realms. I try to do a lot of different things. Do you have like a core mission statement of what you're out here trying to do? Could you really boil it down to, uh, you know, the rue for me? I think it's trying to offer representation and um, effective effective empowerment to marginalized groups and, and groups that have been completely erased, whether it be through the media, through ethnic cleansing, you know, like that, I guess, to put it simply. Interesting. Uh, I know you also study at Boston College. What, uh, what exactly are you studying and what do you hope to uh, parlay your education there uh, into uh, after? Yeah, so I'm currently studying political science and sociology. Uh, I'm currently in the process of applying to grad schools, so I've applied to a few master's programs in Middle Eastern studies, but I've also applied to law school. So um, hopefully I can get into law school and, you know, try to take my activism, you know, and, and I guess frame it within a legalistic framework. Um, so th- that's the current uh, goal right now, but we'll see. If that doesn't happen, I'll have to figure something else out. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, just roll with it. Seems like you have a lot going yeah. on, so I'm sure you won't be uh, you won't be left uh, wanting with any opportunities. I think you'll, uh, it sounds like you'll be doing <laughs> just all, quite all right. Thank um, <laughs> you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now, I'd like to know, hear about the uh, solar panel project. I, I've seen this that you're involved with. It, it appears that you're offering these solar panels to communities so they can get 24-7 electricity for things like their, their schools. And I'm wondering just uh, if you could enlighten me as to what's going on with that project. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said earlier, I worked with the Yazidi community. They were an ethnic religious group that had been the main targets of ISIS. Uh, and so when I worked with that community, they have set up through uh, various NGOs, these community centers uh, where, you know, there's uh, Internet available. It's like books. It's just like an entire place where you can learn English. So many different resources uh, in this building. But the building, you know, the entire place, the village that they've relocated in, in Duhok in northern Iraq doesn't have 24 hour access to electricity. It's like four or five hours a day, which I don't think is enough. Um, and so given the climate and given everything there, I figured the best uh, possible way to bring electricity would be through solar panels. Um, and unfortunately, the way solar panels are created is through the exploitation of minerals and various, you know, uh, marginalized groups. And I believe it's like Western Africa. So I figured um, if we're going <laughs> to offer sustainable solutions to this group, then we can't hurt another group while doing this. Um, but thankfully, I found a solar panel organization in uh, Suleimani, so in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, and they actually de- developed their own solar panels there. So the goal is to bring those panels all the way over to Duhok uh, and, and install it at the uh, education centers so that we could provide electricity to the displaced uh, refugees that are living there now. Now, as you're saying all this, I'm really thinking that not many people at your young age are this active, have done this much, are really engaging in this kind of activity. Could you pinpoint for me why exactly you are so uh, motivated and, you know, accomplishing uh, so much and just so active? Um, Well, thank you for that. I think it's the result of a lot of things. Um, You know, growing up, my parents are both refugees, so the stories and narratives of genocide and ethnic cleansing are far too familiar but um, I think really in college, once I started um, reading political philosophy, I, I began to understand that there's, you know, a difference between theorizing and um, 
actually manifesting and putting into practice what you want to happen. So while I was reading these different theories, I was discern, you know, disseminating conflict analysis, and I was explaining to people what was going on, I still felt, you know, incomplete. I still felt, okay, I know what's going on, but what are we actually doing to, you know, help stop this? And as much as I'd like to say that I'm effective on Twitter and I can argue with these people and I can win, you know, logical arguments, has that really left the population better off? You know, and I, be, you know, began to understand that not really. So I tried to find different ways to um, bridge my theory with practice because I think it's so important to, you know, like a surgeon does, you can read about surgery as much as you want, and that's great, but are you able, you know, to actually perform the surgery? So I think that personal political philosophy has really helped me, you know, and pushed me and motivated me to actually find ways to help empower these uh, populations that I work with. Well, it's very interesting. You're in that academic environment. I think a lot of the effort in, in a place like Boston College is on research, and it seems like you're really bridging that gap to activity and solutions, and I, I think that's really, really cool. Thank you so much. Uh, now, if we could transition to uh, what's happening in Iran, you know, here in Canada, too, we've been particularly affected by all of this uh, news coming out in the past few days. What's the latest yeah. on the situation? Like, you, you, I noticed that you're, you're on the pulse of what's going on. I see you all over uh, Twitter. What could you tell me the latest? What's going on uh, today with that situation? Sure. OK, so to begin, I think it's important to emphasize that the entire conflict has been interpreted so horribly. I mean, there has been a binary that has been constructed and it completely diminishes the voices of people that are actually being affected by this. You know, media reports either from the U.S. or Iran are mere regurgitations of each respective discourse. So, you know, there's zero regard for either the Iraqi people, Iranian people, much less the Kurds. Um, so, you know, as we know, America went out of its way and it assassinated Soleimani, a top military leader of a sovereign nation. I mean, this completely undermines, you know, the fundamentals of any international law. But um, a lot of leftists I've seen, you know, as myself, uh, I identify as a leftist, have gone to, uh, as a means to oppose U.S. intervention, have gone to completely defend Soleimani in the Iranian regime. And I think that's horrible because it constructs the binary. Um, and in defending the Iranian regime, you completely diminish the oppression and erasure of the several ethnic and religious minority groups that live, you know, within Iran and have suffered under that regime. Um, so after the killing of Soleimani, we had Iran retaliate by attacking uh, bases in Iraq. Um, and so I think it's also important to emphasize here that by retaliating, you know, supposedly against the United States, Iran has killed Iraqis. And media reports were, you know, incredibly degrading. They, the way they framed it was word for word, only Iraqis were killed, as if that, you know, meant nothing. Um, and so, what were the consequences of our actions as the U.S. is that Iraqis were killed. So, I don't even identify as Iraqi, per you know the history of how Kurds have been ethnically cleansed under the Iraqi government, and you know so forth. But mm -hmm. someone like myself, who has such remorse against this nationality, I can wholeheartedly admit how horribly the Iraqi people have been treated in this entire. Um, conflict. It's, you know, Iraq's been used as a battleground between Iran and the U.S., so I think it's important to recognize how both both forces are not, you know, good. It, it, it's wrong to construct a binary where you choose people to, or you force people to choose a lesser evil, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also noticed, I find it interesting that we had that tweet from Donald Trump uh, recently uh, in the Farsi language, essentially reaching out to the people of Iran and saying that, you know, extending his support for their recent protest uh, that they've directed at their own government. What is your thoughts on that situation there, the president reaching out with his support to the Iranian peoples? Yeah, so I think I think it's important that we don't diminish the genuine efforts of the people just because a foreign leader supports them. I mean, I actually wrote an article 
two years ago about the Iranian uprisings with the region where a lot of leftists and a lot of Westerners tried to move to dismiss these these protests that were happening amongst the Iranian people and, you know, dismiss it as a CIA operative. And, you know, it's, it's fair to say that the CIA in the United States has gone to, uh, you know, implement regime change and stuff like that. But it's not fair to completely diminish the voices of the Iranian people in these protests. Regardless of whether Trump supports it or not, these people have genuine concerns. I mean, you can ask anyone that belongs to the Baha'i faith how they've, you know, suffered extreme oppression under the current regime. You know, as a Kurdish woman, I can tell you that there has been so many political leaders that are Kurds that have been assassinated, you know, public hangings and executions of our leaders. It's, it's fair for these people to, you know, revolt and to protest against the current regime. Absolutely. Um, and you have lots of interesting things to share on this topic. I'm just wondering, at this point, knowing what you know, where do you see things moving forward from here? You have, uh, you know, I know from a Canadian perspective, we're trying to send people over and get some visas cleared to go investigate this recent plane crash and a lot of things right. developing. I'm wondering what you uh, kind of see things going uh, from this point here. Uh, from this point on, following Trump's de-escalation, I, you know, I'm quite honest, I thought war was going to break out. Um, but I'm glad to say that that's not the case. But I genuinely, I'm not sure. I think it, it depends on the Iranian people. I mean, there are revolts going on. And I can tell you that they're most likely going to be suppressed. And that um, I, I think that's that's what's going to happen. I can't really quite give you a prediction of what's going to happen just because everything has been so unpredictable this past week. Um, but I don't know. I think the regime is going to remain intact. And I think there's going to be, you know, U.S. forces are still going to be present in uh, Iraq. Same thing with Iran. I think Iraq is going to be continued use as a proxy battleground, whether it be through, you know, direct missiles being sent or indirectly through um, influence on local uh, militias or, or political parties. That's what I see happening. And just my last question here before I let you go again, thank you so much for taking some time to call in today. Yeah, of course. Um, as What advice would you have, let's say, for Canadians who are maybe not as aware of the plight of people that are actually experiencing this uh, over in the Middle East? Like, what would you say, what kind of guidance would you give to a Canadian who's maybe trying to, with a lack of information maybe at their disposal, what can they do to kind of really get a better sense of, of what's happening uh, outside of our country right now? So I think it's important to uh, really look at the sources um, that you're looking at, I guess, for a lack of eloquence. I think you should be following people that are from Iran. I think you should be uh, cognizant of the fact that, you know, U.S. media and Iranian media are going to have completely two different discourses. But I think following articles like The Guardian, following uh, activists like Arash Tehrani, who's an amazing socialist here in the United States who talks about the binary that I you know, talked about previously, uh, I think it's important to be conscious of the binary that's being constructed, whether it's, you know, anti-U.S. or pro-Iran. There's, there's, it's not just black and white. There's more gray areas to that. And I think it's important to, um, on social media, follow these, these figures that talk about their experiences who are actually from Iran. Nareen, uh, thank you so much for calling in. You do some really great work, uh, really great insights you've you've given me today. And uh, I feel smarter just talking to you. So I want to thank you so much uh, for taking some time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. That was Noreen Breyer. And wow, what a uh, very intelligent young lady. I told you, you can, you're going to you can actually hear the sound of me trying to hang on, you know, intellectually and not kind of, you know, get exposed. Maybe I did that. I'll let you be the judge. But uh, really fascinating uh, person. Uh, I like what you talked about, you know, the binary. Oftentimes we kind of get this 
either a black or white version of the story fed to us when in fact with these with these complicated issues it's really not black and white it's a bit more complex than that but the media or our government will feed us a pretty concrete one-sided version of the story and i think noreen kind of prides herself on being a fair sort of journalist who looks at things you know beyond just the narrative that we're fed the binary Things are either this way or they're that way. That's the good guy and that's the bad guy. Well, I think both people, you know, we have a uh, somewhere in the middle, I think, is where where the answers are. Um, and you got to love that that surgeon analogy, you know, how you can be in school, you can study to be a surgeon, you can really know everything, have read every book, but until you go and perform surgery, until you actually leave the world of studying and theory and get into the world of doing and get your hands dirty, that is the only time you're truly going to learn how to get things done. And that's what she's not really waiting for her education at Boston College. She's not really waiting for that to be over. Uh, she's just, you know, getting right in there and, and I think the surgeon analogy is something that speaks to her, and um, I thought that was great. I really appreciate the chance to uh, talk to Noreen. Folks, that brings us to the end of today's show. My name is Matt Hamill. You can find me on social media, on Twitter and IG and TikTok. No, I'm not on TikTok. At Hamill Radio. At Hamill Radio. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with more news stories, interviews, we'll talk music and sports here on the Chip Marble Podcast, brought to you by... Links Magazine.